Amen, amen, amen. So John chapter number 10, we're going to be beginning with verse number 7. And what we're going to be looking at this morning is, is the character of Jesus as our shepherd. And one of the things about his, the character of Jesus as our shepherd that we need to know is that the enemy is the opposite of a shepherd. For every, everything that the Lord is, the enemy imitates, but he's a failure in his imitation. Uh, but in this, in this instance, he's, he runs opposite. Look at what Jesus said in verse number seven. He then said Jesus unto them again, verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Now, let's, let's camp right here for just a moment and look what the, the word of God says, that Jesus is the door, the door that you can go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is the only way that your soul will ever find rest Jesus is the only way that your soul will ever find healing, and Jesus is the only way you can ever be born again. Jesus said he's the door and the only way that you can come in and out and find pasture is by him. And when we say that, we mean that he is the way, the truth, and the life, exactly like he said in John chapter number 14. He said, there is no other way to the Father but by him. And so one of the greatest failures that we see in Christendom is when we elevate methods and not the man of Christ Jesus. God is not impressed by our many methods he describes it as madness when we do not lift up the man, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? And one of the failures that we have in Christendom is that we look for the methods of men. We look for what the world is doing right, and we imitate it. We look for what the latest and greatest fad is, and we imitate it. And one of the things that we are called to do as the church is to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. And what do we mean by lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ? It is exalting him. It is exalting him above every other thing in this life. It is exalting him above our relationships with our fellow man. It is exalting him above our pain and our anguish. It is exalting him above our circumstances. It is exalting him above our physical bodies. It is exalting him above our dreams and our aspirations. It is exalting him above our political views. It is exalting him above our sports entertainment. It is exalting him above life itself. For in him is eternal life. Amen? Amen. Jesus is amazing. He said in this life you're going to have tribulation. Everybody that you know lives for this life. And Jesus said all this life is going to give you is tribulation. Every promise comes with a hook on it. This life could be characterized as a cartoon where the, the rabbit's following the carrot on the stick right off the cliff. This life is full of beautiful promises that never bring fulfillment. 
But Jesus is the well that never runs dry. Jesus said, in this life, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer, right? Be of good cheer, why? Because he said, I've overcome this world. I have overcome this world. In me, you will have peace. And the peace that he gives, he said, the world can't take it from you. The peace that he gives, he said, the world can't take it from you. So no matter what circumstances we may have to go through in this life, God has given us his peace to be with us through it all. And so one of the things that we see here is that Jesus said he's the door. A lot of times, one of the reasons I wanted to stop right here is because a lot of times people try to find pasture through other means. What do we mean by pasture? It just represents, that's where the sheep relax. It's where the sheep relax. They relax in the pasture, not on the cliff. They relax in the pasture. That's where they, they drink from the, the still waters. You remember Psalm 23. The, the, the pasture is where the sheep can just kind of rest and lollygag around. Amen? Amen? And a lot of times, people in life try to find pasture through better jobs, better relationships, better things, better houses, better this, better that. And those things will never produce the pasture for the soul. They always have, they always are, they're, they're tinged with the world. They're tinged with those broken promises, just like politicians. Amen? Don't politicians always break their promises? It's kind of emblematic of, of the world system. The, the world has beautiful promises, right? If you could just get that house, if you could just get that car, if you could just get that job, if you could just marry that one person, if you could get all those things, then you would finally be happy, but it never comes, does it? Just like a politician, it's an empty promise. It's the enemy uses those broken promises to prolong, amen, and to get you further away from Christ Jesus the Lord. But Jesus here said he's the pasture. You, you, the only way that you can find rest for your soul is to come through him, amen? And how many, how many times people just stick their finger in their ear and they just, la, 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 I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it, I will find it another way. I don't want to hear it. But Jesus said, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And one of the things that we see in this passage is, is that he said that if you come in by him, you will be saved. There is, there is that blessing of salvation through Jesus Christ. And the, the problem is that the enemy knows that if you would be, if you would be faithful in your pursuit of God, he can't stop you. He knows that if you would be faithful in your pursuit of God, he knows that if you would rest in Jesus Christ's finished work at Calvary, there is nothing that he can do to separate you from God's love, according to Romans chapter 8. There is nothing that he can do to separate you, not height nor depth, nothing in this life. No principality, no angel, no life, nor death can separate you from the God who loves you. But you know what? If he, can, if he can entertain you, if he can entertain you and get you following a carrot on a stick away from that pasture, away from that door, away from that shepherd of the soul, if he can get you to wander off by yourself, Amen. he will do it. 
one of the things that we see is that is that this happens far too many times. What, what you're going to see in this next couple of verses is the, the, the plan of the enemy to scatter and smother the believer. To scatter and smother the believer. It's kind of like if you go eat hash browns at a restaurant. You get scattered and smothered and those kinds of things. But look at what this is. This in verse number 10. The thief cometh not. But for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Isn't it amazing that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and we just nonchalantly pass that over? Understand that your enemy, uh, Peter said, your enemy, the adversary, right? He walks about as what? A roaring lion, seeking whom he may play with. And, oh, it's not play with, is it? Seeking whom he may entertain. Seeking whom he may devour. The, the devouring of, of people who are well-meaning happens far too often. The, the devouring of the people happens too often. And there's many, there's many reasons for it. We're going to look at how the enemy actually scatters us. How the enemy actually scatters us. Um, Continuing in verse number 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. So let's stop right there for a minute and, and notice the goal of the enemy is to scatter the flock of God. The goal of the enemy is to scatter the flock of God. It is to separate you. It is to separate you from those that belong to God. It is to separate you from the people of God. It is to separate you from the purpose of God and from the plan of God and from you pursuing God. It is to scatter the sheep. That is the goal of the enemy. One of the ways that you see that he, he does this is through hirelings. Notice what it says, hirelings. What is a hireling? A hireling is someone who is hired for a wage, isn't it? Someone who's hired for a wage. You know what? If you can be bought, if you can be bought, the devil will buy you. It, it, let me say it like this. If you are willing to compromise, the enemy will find that weakness and bring it to fruition. You, you, if you've got a weak place, right? If you've got a weak place, don't you know the enemy will find it? And one of the things that you see here is a hireling is, is someone who is in power. You see this in churches or in pulpits where people are profiting off the people of God. People are profiting off the people of God. They are hirelings. They are bought off, unwilling to say the truth when they need to say it because it's all about the prophet, not about the people. When, 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 when ministers are motivated by prophets and not by people's souls, they will compromise the message. They will compromise the message. What do we mean by compromise? The, the word, have you ever been in a relationship where, where you've been told to compromise with somebody? Amen. Sometimes compromise is good. 
you want to go eat at Waterburger and they want to go eat at Taco Bell, so you compromise and go to Chinese. <laughs> in that instance, compromise is good. But when you're talking about it in terms of godliness, compromise is evil. What do we mean by compromise? The, the, the definition, the compromise, is to lower your standard in order to meet a goal. Lower your standard in order to meet a goal. Now, if you think about compromise in this aspect, that God's standards, amen, how high are God's standards? God's holy standard is higher than any person can reach on their own. You cannot reach God's holy standard. It's out of your reach. The only way that you can have or attain holiness is because of your walk with God. The only way that you can receive that holiness standard is through the empowering of the Holy Spirit in you, the believer. You can't do it on your own. And, and don't think that it's not necessary because the Bible says without holiness, you won't see God. Amen. Well, I, that's just for super duper Christians. No, it's not. It's for the people that want to see God one day. Amen? It's for the people that want to see God one day. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So God's holy standard is way high, and what a compromising minister does is just bring it down a few notches so that you can step up on it yourself and not have to change so that you don't walk away from your flesh, so that you don't turn away from this life, but you can have your cake and eat it too. That's what a compromising message does. It gives you the ability to have your cake and eat it too and still name the name of Christ. And this is of the devil. A hireling, what it says, a hireling is someone who can be bought off, who will package a message in a way that we can take it and consume it and not be changed by it. God's spirit changes the place. God's spirit changes people. And God's spirit changes us. It, whenever God gets a hold of somebody, he changes them. He never leaves them the same. He produces in you either a, a, a willingness to change and surrender or a hard heart, but he never leaves you the same. If you can just be, have a dazed look when somebody is bringing the message of the gospel, you've got a problem. If it doesn't, if, if it doesn't move you or motivate you to go one way or the other... We've got a problem. And, and see, a, a hireling is someone who can be bought off. And whenever pressure comes, the hireling flees, doesn't he? The hireling flees. Jesus said, I'm not a hireling. Jesus is not a hireling. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's not going to be bought off. He, listen, he's going to stick by you no matter how many demons or devils come after you. Jesus will not leave you and he will not forsake you. He will stand by you and he will fight every battle for you if you'll stay with him. You've got to stay with him. God will deliver you in your time of need. God is not mocked, amen? God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. 
And if you sow faith, if you just stand by the Lord and you just keep pressing into him, God will work miracles in your life. He's a miracle-working God. Far too many times we flake out. Far too many times we flake out because the circumstances of life are not going the way we want them to go. We turn our back on the good shepherd. The good shepherd. So a hireling is a way. Now notice verse number 10 said that the thief comes to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. So the, 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 the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now how does a thief get into the sheepfold? How does a thief get in there? Because look, Jesus is the good shepherd. He's not going to get past the good shepherd. So how does he get into the sheepfold? Through hirelings. You see, while Jesus is mediating for us in heaven, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, he has given to the church, amen, he's given to the church apostles, prophets, preachers, teachers, he's given to the church the fivefold ministry, amen, to lead the church of God into what? Into growing churches? No, into growing people. So that we can grow together, amen, and perfect the body of Christ. That means coming to a full completion, to grow up. So we don't have to be entertained by, by people singing Aladdin songs in the church anymore and, and smoke machines and things like that. We don't have to be entertained when we've grown and matured in Christ. A true prophet, a true teacher, a true minister of the word of God will help you to grow to get off the milk and get on to the meat. If somebody keeps you on milk, they're hirelings. They're lowering God's standard so that you can consume it and have your cake and eat it too. Now, God's message is a message where you turn, you've got to come to a place where you turn away from yourself and you turn to Christ. Where you turn away from this life and you grab hold of eternal life. Where you turn away from your way of doing things and you come to God's way of doing things. The hireling, the hireling will leave when pressure comes. So the number one way that the thief comes to the sheepfold is through weak leaders. Is the number one way that the enemy comes in is through weak leaders. Whenever a nation crumbles, it's because it has weak leaders. When a family falls apart, weak leaders. And when a church falls, weak leaders. The enemy comes to the sheep through weak hirelings. He calls them hirelings here because they, they leave when the going gets tough. How many of you ever heard that saying? When the going gets tough, the tough get going, but a hireling will leave when the pressure comes. The, the number one way that the, the thief comes to the sheepfold to, remember the goal? You saw that in, was it verse 13? He comes to scatter. Once he gets a, once he can move the hireling out of the way, the sheep will be scattered. And you know, when the sheep are scattered, they are easy what? Easy prey, easy pickings, low-hanging fruit. So what we see in the church world and not only the church world but in the political world and not only in the political world but even in our homes is through weak leaders, people fall prey to the enemy. 
through weak leaders, weak leadership. Let's look at this. A compromised leader in the church or in the home. A compromised leader in the church or in the home. What is that? That is someone who, who promotes psychology and not the cross. Someone who promotes psychology and not the cross is a weak leader keeping you or me on milk. The, the psychology is the science of the mind. It is a doorway to the soul. But how many of you know there's only one person who can touch the soul? There's only one person who can heal the soul, and that's Jesus Christ. You can study it, you can play with it, you can smell it, you can scratch and sniff it, but there's only one person who can heal the soul, that's Jesus Christ. Psychology studies it, thinks it knows something about it, but God is the one who gave it, and God is the one who can deliver it, and God is the one who can save it. And the only way, there's only one way that our souls can find what they need, and that is at the cross. Anybody who exalts any other message but the message of the cross is a liar and a hireling. Do you know, do you realize that you don't have to stop, go collect $200? All you got to do is go to the Lord at Calvary. See, the simplicity of Christ is the power of the message of the gospel. The power of the message of the gospel is that whosoever, any single person, any person can access God by faith in what Jesus did. Do you realize that if you put your faith in any other thing, it will fall eventually? If you put your faith in a person, they will eventually flake out or fail you. But if you put your faith in the work of Jesus Christ, it will never fail. It will never falter. But what you will find is favor from God. At the cross. You know, the apostle Paul, he said, you know, he said, I didn't come to baptize. You remember they got into a big fight in the Corinthian church about who was baptizing who, who did what. Paul said, I, didn't, I don't even know who all I baptized. He said, I only got one message. Preach the cross. The preaching of the cross is the power of God unto salvation. And he said, that's all I care about. He said, you can have your infighting about what denomination you want to be. You can say you're of Cephas. You can say you're of Paul. I don't care. He said, all I want to do is preach the cross. I'm willing to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ because that's the only way you or I can be saved. You see, whenever the, the apostle Peter, whenever he was preaching to uh, Cornelius' house, you remember that? What did he do? He didn't baptize first. He preached Jesus, and then they all got baptized in the Holy Ghost. You see, you preach Jesus first, and the dominoes fall the way God wants them to fall. But when you preach in something else, you've got your hand on it. In the preaching of the cross, that's the message that God's given us, not only for salvation, but for sanctification and every other thing that God desires. The preaching of the cross is what God uh, exalts. That's the only place that God will honor. That's the only place that God will bless. And it's the only place that God will empower. You see, the, the preaching of the cross, it takes the, it takes the onus off of you. It, the preaching of the cross, it takes the ability off of you. The preaching of the cross takes the power off of you. It takes the limelight off of you. It takes the exalting off of you. 
You can't say that you did anything when you lift up the Lord Jesus Christ and his work at Calvary. You, you've taken the, the spotlight off of the stage that they have these days, right? Everybody has stages and, and they black everything and then have this one bright light on the, on the, on the coffee table chair as they're reading from a computer and telling you how to be a better person. And, and, and in that, I want you to know that we are called to spotlight Jesus, not men. When you spotlight and lift up what Jesus did on the cross, it takes the glory off of men and puts all of it where it's supposed to be, which is on God. What God did for us, amen, nobody could do. Because, you see, nobody could bridge the gap between God and man. Nobody could bridge that gap. Nobody could fill in that hedge. Nobody could cross that impasse between sinful men and a holy God. This is the, this is the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel that man is so sinful and so fallen and so depraved that there is absolutely no amount of anything you could do that you could make yourself right with God. Psychology, psychology is a way of making you think you're right. It is trying to remove guilt, trying to remove blame, trying to remove this, that, or the other, or just give you a pill until you live in a place of grayness. But I want you to know that burdens are not lifted by pills. I'm telling you, burdens are lifted at Calvary. All of the burdens... All of the burdens that you have are lifted at Calvary. Every pain can be mended at the hands of the surgeon who is God. Every stripe of guilt, everything, every grief, everything you've had to endure, God has the answer for. There's a balm in Gilead. There's a balm in Gilead. He's a faithful God. And when you come with a broken and contrite spirit, God will not resist you. The only one he resists is the proud. God resists the proud. When you try to come any other way than the way that he has made, he resists it. When you try to hold on to your dignity, amen? When you try to keep, when you try to keep yourself together, it's only when you come to that place where you let go that you'll find God. Only in that place where you say, you know what, I'm tired of trying to do it my way. I'm tired of trying to hold on to this and hold on to that. I'm being stretched too thin. I'm burning the candle at both ends. I'm tired of just trying to hold on. God said, if you'll just let go, if you'll just let go at Calvary, let go it's in that letting go, in that place of surrender that God can begin to do a new work in you. As long as you hold on to your life and you hold on to your pride, you hold on to the way that you do things, as long as you hold on to those things, God's not going to honor it. But in that place of surrender, God will begin to do a new work in you. 
Now notice that first off, the, the, the enemy, the thief, he comes in to scatter the fold. The goal of the enemy is to steal, kill, and destroy. In doing so, in doing so, his method is to scatter the flock. So in order for him to steal, kill, and destroy, he needs to scatter the flock. You with me? In order for him to steal, kill, and destroy, he needs to scatter the flock. You know what he wants to do? He wants to separate you. He wants to separate you from two, two groups. Number one, he wants to separate you from fellow believers. Let me say it like this. He wants to separate you from like-minded believers. Number two, he wants to separate you from God. That's what he wants to do. How, how is that? He wants you to be an isolated hermit. My, one of my pastors one time in New Orleans, he said, you know, there's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. What does he mean by that? You can't do it on your own. You need God and you need God's people. God has gifted the body of Christ to be a blessing to the church. But the danger is when the church is ran by hirelings. Then it's not a blessing, it can become a curse. Because when adversity comes, hirelings flee. We just read it. When, 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 when adversity comes, hirelings flee. When your message, when your message and your purpose is not in the exaltation of Jesus Christ, you will flake out when those methods begin to fail. You know that you can only keep up and act so long. You can only keep up an act so long. At some point, you need the real thing or you're going to burn out. You ever seen anybody try to fake it? You know, in, in the world, they say, there's a saying called fake it till you make it. But you know what? God, in God's kingdom, there are people that are fake, but there will come a time when they flake out. Look, he said it right there. Hirelings will scatter when the adversary comes. When the right pressure is applied at the right place, the hireling will flee. But you know what? You see this not only in the church. You, you definitely see it in the church. and you, you definitely see it in the church, but you also see it in homes. You also see it in homes. You know, isn't it amazing how uh, quick we are? To, to, to blame others when a lot of times the blame is on us. When, when we don't honor God in our homes, but then we wonder why the enemy's running roughshod over our families. When we're supposed to be leading our families to Christ. We're, and look, we're supposed to be setting the example as the men and women of God. You might say, well, nobody else in my house is living for God. Well, there's you. Well, what can God do with one? I don't know. You tell me. Why don't you read the Bible and look? What can God do with a willing heart? What can God do with one? He can do great things. He can do great things with one person who's willing to do things his way. If God can get a hold of one person that's willing to serve him and follow him, no matter what the situation is, God will do mighty things 
But far too often, when a hireling, when a hireling is compromised, nobody else will stand up for God either. But you see this in homes. You see, our generation is a generation of divorce and abandonment. Our generation is a generation of orphans. Never has there been a generation like ours. We, our nation is one of the most prosperous nations that's ever existed. And yet, and yet, look at how many orphans we have, even in our nation. Now, I understand. We, we go and we, we, you know, we serve in Haiti. We have uh, orphans there and a um, minister there that we support. We go over there. I understand why they have orphans because they cannot provide What's our excuse? What's our excuse? Why is it that in our nation we have this many people on the street, this many people neglected, this many people abandoned, when we have an overabundance of goods but a lack of compassion? A lack of compassion. Why is it? It's because we have hirelings. We have hirelings in the pulpit and we have hirelings in the home. Hirelings can be bought off. Hirelings in the home can be bought off. They, they live compromised lives, just like there are some people in pulpits that are compromised. There's compromise in the home too. You know, you can't, you can't act like, you can't act like one thing in church and another thing at home because your family will see right through you. Your message will fall on deaf ears. So what's, what, what, what are we to do? What are we to do? We're to have integrity. Be the same way at church on Sunday as we are at home on Monday. Be the same person. Have integrity. The problem in the home is that we have people in the home that are trying to lead a family that don't have integrity. You can't play God. God won't be mocked. Just because you take your family to church don't mean you serve God. Just because you, you can say this or say that doesn't mean that you serve God. How do you live your life? What example do you give them? Do you pray with them? Do you lead them in the word of God? When they want to give up, do you tell them, don't you give up, God's going to come through? Or do they see you throwing your hands up in the air, cursing and throwing plates against the wall too? I always say not one problem's ever been solved by a plate crashing. It actually compounds the problem because now you can't eat. And that's a problem. But you know, the, the, the enemy likes to make fools out of us. The enemy likes to make fools out of us. And we think a lot of times by throwing plates or cursing somebody or doing this or doing that, we can accomplish, we can make them feel, you know, it doesn't work like that. God's looking for people who will not compromise with this world. God's looking for people who are unwilling to hold hands with the world. What kind of a leader are we? You see, we, we talk about leaders in the pulpit, and you can definitely talk about leaders in the nation. You can talk about political leaders. Amen. You can talk about political leaders, but you know what? You know what? The enemy has specialized in breaking down the home. 
He specialized in breaking down the home. It's a sad reality that the divorce rate in the church is just a tad higher than the divorce rate in the world. Just a tad higher. Why is that? Well, you don't know the story. Well, there's a lot of stories then. If the, if the divorce rate in general is higher than the divorce rate of the world, what's the problem? What's the problem? Lack of integrity, lack of leadership, hirelings. One of the things that we see in, in godly homes is that a leader will point his family to Christ. At all costs, at all costs, not just a Sunday religion, but a daily walk with God. It's the same thing that you see in churches. This is how you separate a hireling from a true minister of God. So where's the compromise at? Where's the compromise? And you see, the, the enemy knows where a person is compromised or if they're compromised. One of the things that we can also see is that um, the enemy will come in where there's compromised leaders, false teachers, or where we reject their authority. You realize that, that it, could, it could be that there are people that are leading, but you just reject the authority. When you reject the authority of the person leading you, you're the one that's compromised. You're the one that's compromised. You're the one that's become the hireling. And you're the one that's going to flee and scatter when the enemy comes in. You see, we, that's one of the things that we've got to get down is rejection of authority is actually rebellion to God. Every person that's in authority over your life, God's put there. Even if you don't like your boss, God put them there. And rejection of authority is a rejection of God. Rebellion, Bible says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. How kindly does God look on witchcraft? Not very kindly. Not very kindly, but yet we think that we can rebel against society, rebel against authority, rebel against our boss, rebel against pastors, rebel against our spouses, rebel against this, rebel against that, and not suffer the consequences of it. How are we going to reject those authorities in our life that God has put there and yet still think we're going to walk in God's blessing? And then we wonder, well, then we wonder, well, why isn't God empowering the church anymore? Because the church ain't right. Same thing with our families. When, when, you, when, when a family separates for anything other than adultery, because, you know, Jesus gave us that one. When a family separates for anything other than that, there's a problem. And you see the same thing in churches. The enemy's desire is to, is to sift and to separate and to scatter. Sift and separate and scatter. That's one of his goals. So in the scattering of the sheep, if that's the goal, it's to scatter you from other godly folks and to scatter you from God. Get you to walk away. 
Do you realize that those are the two main things that he's trying to do is to, is to remove you or scatter you from like-minded believers and to remove you from God, to cause you to walk away from godly people and from God himself, from godly people and from God himself. Now, you know, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, why God wrote this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. It says, and let us consider one another. You see, what a, what, how God designed the church is that you become aware and compassionate about others. It becomes a family. A, a godly family will care for each other. A godly family will wait on someone when somebody's running late. What kind of a family would it be if somebody, if you were like leaving Walmart and one of the kids was, you know, slow and everybody else got in the car and you're like, well, I guess if they really wanted to go home, they would have hurried up and you just leave them there. What kind of a family would that be? But do you realize that that's how we treat one another? You realize that that's how we treat one another? We think, well, if I guess if they wanted to get it, they get it by now, forget them. And we leave them. We leave them behind. Amen? We say, you know what? They've been dealing with that for, for five years. I've been knowing them my whole life. They've always done this. They've always done that. You run them down, run them down, run them down, and then you leave them. What kind of a parent would that be? If they look back and they said, what are they doing? I mean, look, they haven't even crossed the street yet. I'm already in the car. If they wanted to go home with me, I guess they'd be here by now and leave them. But that's how we treat one another when we're not compassionate, when we're not willing to wait on each other, when we're not willing, look, when we're not willing to consider one another's issues or struggles. You know, there's value in grace. Because if God didn't give you grace, you wouldn't be where you are. And when you're not willing to give grace to others, have you really received grace? Look what he says in verse 24. Consider, consider one another, listen, to provoke to what? To anger? Provoked to love. One of the desires that God has for the church is that you help each other serve God. That you help each other love one another. When someone's struggling, you pro how many times have you ever provoked somebody to love God more? That's a question. We're all about us four and no more. I got my cookie. I don't know if anybody else did. I got what I came for. I got what I needed. But when was the last time we actually provoked someone else to love God more than they do today? Have you ever taken your eyes off yourself to look on someone else and say, you know what? I pray that I can help them love God more today. How can you help that person love God more? How can you do it? Provoke them. Tell them how good God is. 
Tell them how good God is. Tell them what all God did for them at the cross. Tell them that that's where burdens are lifted. Tell them. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them that old story, right? That old story about the gospel, about Jesus. Provoke one another to love, listen, and to good works. And to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, one of the things that we always see is people say, you know, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together, right? And we know that. But do you see that after that statement, it says, but exhorting one another? The purpose, one of the purposes, one of the main purposes in gathering together is so that we can exhort one another. It's to encourage one another. It's so that you can lift that, that person with the weary arms. You can help them lift their arms and glorify God. It's for, that, it's for that one person that, you know what, you might say, man, we've sang this song 10 times. We've sang this song 10 times. I'm tired of singing this song. It's for that person to realize, you know what, but maybe God's moving in that person's life. I'll be willing to sing it 20 times if that's what it takes for it to sink in on that person's life. I'm willing to smile. I'm willing to press in. I'm willing to forget about the fact I'm tired of singing this song. I've sang it 10 times. When are we going to, when's the temperature going to get colder or hotter? When's this going to happen? When, when are they going to stop? When's the preacher going to stop? When's this going to? See, we get so caught up in us, 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 us. And look what it says. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhort one another. One of the main purposes that we all come together is so that we can help each other grow in Christ. Encourage one another. But everybody's all about, I want, I want my cookie. I want my donut. I want my, I, when they going to sing my song? When they're going to preach what I want them to preach? When they're going to sing what I want to sing? When's the temperature going to be what I want it to be? <laughs> it's all about us. When we're supposed to come, number one, to glorify God, and number two, to exhort one another. You see how far down we are on the peg? We're supposed to be way down here. The problem in hireling churches is that we put ourselves way up here. It's all about us. I'll go to church when I want to go. Uh, look, I, I understand. Schools today, they schedule activities on Sundays. I know. Well, if you want to meet the teacher, you got to come on a Sunday. Guess I won't be meeting the teacher then. Guess I won't be doing that. Guess Billy won't be going to soccer practice. It's the Lord's Day. Why? I'm going to go glorify God, and there's somebody there that I can encourage. I'm going to go, and, and you know what? I may not be able to do anything else, but maybe, maybe, maybe I can tell someone, keep on keeping on. Don't give up. God's going to come through. God, we just sang a song. Teach me to wait, Lord. We were preaching this morning at the nursing home, and, and one of the, the message, it was, you know, God, God is faithful. Amen. Every morning, his mercies are new. 
God's going to come through. But you see that what God wants us to do is not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, not so that we can get a check mark by our attendance. Although once we get over there, I don't know, you might need it, but I'm just saying. But, but notice the reason is so that we can exhort one another. If that's not on your heart, there's a problem. Now, I understand, listen, I understand that you might be like, well, I've never heard that preached before. Well, now you have. Right? Now you have. One of the main purposes of church is so that you glorify God and number two, encourage each other. And you might, you know, you might say, well, I don't feel like going to church. I don't like the way that song is. I don't like this. I don't like that. See the problem in there? When God has created church, number one, to glorify himself, and number two, that you can encourage somebody else. So I may not feel like going to church, but somebody needs to be glorified, and somebody there might need to be encouraged. So you know what? That's why I tell people, look, I know it's football season, but you know what? If, if that keeps you away from church, I hope your team loses. <laughs> if, if, that's, if, if work keeps you away from church, guess what? Don't be surprised when work starts drying up. Whatever it is that keeps you away from God, don't be surprised when that thing starts drying up. Whatever it is, relationships, jobs, your football team, Whatever it is. Now notice here, number one, don't forsake the assembling of yourself because that's one of the, one of the main things that, that the enemy wants to do is to remove you from the fold. To remove you from the fold, right? Do you realize that if, if you have some quit in you, he'll find it? I'm not talking about from a particular church. I'm talking about from God's church in general, Okay. If you got some quit in you, he'll find it. The enemy will find it for the purpose of removing you from the fold. For the purpose of removing you from the fold. Turn, turn with me to Proverbs 16, verse 28. Proverbs 16, verse 28. Look what it says in verse number 28. A froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. The, the separating of friends is one of the goals of the enemy. It is to, he wants to isolate and separate you from spirit-filled folks. A whisperer separates chief friends. You have... You have no friend like Jesus. And then your family, your church family, nobody should be able to separate you from. But a whisperer, and if you know anything about the devil, his, one of his names is he's the slanderer. 
right? He's a liar from the beginning, but a slanderer. What does slander mean? He throws accusations against folks. That's what a whisperer does. Did you know what sister so-and-so did? Did you know what brother so-and-so did? Did you know what they think about you? Did you know this? Did you know that? A whisperer can separate close friends, chief friends, a whisperer. In fact, I've read testimonies of people that got saved, but before they got saved, they were extremely evil. They said they would go into churches and try to split them up. And they would go and tell one person one thing and go tell another person another thing and just sit back and watch the bomb burst. But do you realize that that came through that person from the enemy, from the thief, the desire, the desire when you have a desire to murmur or gossip about somebody or tear them down through whispering, don't you know that that comes from the devil? I mean, his desire is not to encourage one another but to destroy one another, to, to take and bite chunks out of their back, to tear them down with words. You can't justly tear somebody down with your words and pray for them at the same time. But look at, go one chapter over, or go a couple of chapters over. Go to Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27. And look at verse 17. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. You see, one of the reasons that God has you around godly folks is because iron sharpens iron. One of the reasons that we that we gather together as the people of God is so that we encourage one another, but look, so that you can sharpen each other up. You can help each other serve God better. Iron sharpens iron. And if you're not willing, if you're not willing to get down in the trenches with somebody else and help them out, there's a problem. If your desire is to help them and encourage them, you should also be willing to, you know, unite with them and help them. Iron sharpens iron. But one of the reasons why the enemy tries to scatter you is because he knows this. He knows that if you get around, if you get around people that are on fire for God, you might get on fire for God. If you get around people that hunger and thirst for God and God alone, you might start hungering and thirsting for God and God alone. So he wants to separate you from that kind of folk. He wants to separate you from folks that are praying for revival. He wants to separate you from folks that are willing to to dismantle everything so that Christ be exalted once again. He wants to separate you from folks that have eyes, amen, as Leonard Ravenhill said, with eternity stamped on them. Amen? A lot of people have lights, camera, action stamped on their eyeballs. They can't do nothing without broadcasting it on Facebook. Sometimes I wonder how much ministry would be going on in our nation if it wasn't for Facebook Live. You know? 
oh, this person needs, you know, some water. Hang on, let me turn on the camera so I can show everybody I'm giving them water. I don't know how God looks on that, do you? But you see, one of the things that we see here is that iron sharpens iron and the enemy knows it. And if you get around folks that are consumed with God's glory, he's going to do all that he can do to remove you and cause you to walk away. Combustible for God, are you? Are you combustible for God? Or have you flaked out? That's what he's looking for. He's looking for people that flake out. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the goal, the way, the means that he does it is through the scattering of the sheep. The scattering of the sheep to divide. Jesus even said, a kingdom divided will come to desolation. A kingdom divided cannot stand, can it? And if the enemy can bring division in the home, he's got it. If he can bring division in the church, he's got it. If he can bring division in the nation, he's got it. That's why you see our nation so fragmented. What, you know, and I'm not exalting Rome from back in the day, but look at the fall of the Roman Empire. They, they got so big, so vast, so strong, no army on earth could defeat them, but they became so divided that they fell from within. In other words, they got too big for their britches. That's what my mama used to say. And look at our nation. Look at our nation. We've allowed the enemy to divide us from one another. We've allowed the enemy to divide our families. We've allowed the enemy to divide our nation. Amen? And is it any wonder? Is it any wonder? Because we've also allowed the enemy to do the same thing in our churches. Our church, our churches have too many people who seek profits with dollar signs, not profit through God's eyes, P-R-O-F-I-T. One of the problems that we see is that this division, this division is the, is the hand of the enemy. We see it through the divorce in the home. We see it through the orphans. We, th we see it in our homes where there's abandonment. Look at all the fatherless homes that we have. One of the, you know, I, I love to go minister at our local prison, and one of the things that you see in there, fatherless home. I would venture to say over 75% of the people there grew up in a home without their father. And when you think about it, that's the plan of the enemy. It's to scatter the sheep, and he does it through weak leaders, weak leaders. Now, the amazing thing is, if you'll, if you'll turn back over to John chapter 10 with me, we'll close in this chapter.
The amazing thing is that in spite of all this, that the enemy is a scatterer, the amazing thing is that Jesus is a gatherer. The enemy scatters, but Jesus gathers. What kind of folk do, does Jesus gather? Jesus gathers the kind of folk that the world rejects. Look, look at the ragtag army that Jesus selected. Look at the fishers, the, un, the fishermen, the uneducated folk of his day. The tax collector. Money bags, Judas. Look at this, look at this group that he assembled. A people that the world looked down on. And yet God used them. God used them to change the world. When Pentecost came and the Holy Ghost filled those disciples it spread like a nuclear bomb. God just moved so mightily through so few because they got so full of God. You might say, well, I don't know how God's going to change our nation. I don't know how God's going to change my family. I don't know how God's going to change the church world. You know what? Even if it's just a few if a few will get full of the fire of God, we can change the world. How is it? How is it that those few uneducated, amen, those, those Pharisees said they are ignorant and unlearned men, but we can tell they've been with Jesus. Problem with us is we're not ignorant and unlearned. We're educated but we hadn't been with Jesus is the problem. We, we rely too much on the education and too little on the presence of God when the, when the early church had it the exact opposite. They were ignorant and uneducated, unlearned. They didn't know the right things. They didn't say it the right way. Think about Peter, right? He's brash, out there in your face. But what? But he had the presence of God. The presence of God was on those people and they changed a nation. The church, the church would not be stopped. And now, in our nation at least, the church is asleep. God's on the move throughout the world. It's our nation our church, we're, and we're not to the point of no return. If, if, if the people of God in America would hunger and thirst for the presence of God again, if we would do that, we would see God move again. But God, I believe God's not going to move until we rend our hearts to God. I don't believe God's going to move one iota until we rend our hearts to him. Now, let me close with John chapter 10. Uh, look at verse number 13. It says, The hireling fleeth because he is a hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Knowing is the relationship. Didn't Jesus say that about the, the false teachers? 
They, they said, didn't we do many things? Didn't we do these miracles? Didn't we cast out these devils? Didn't we heal folks? And he said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. See, our generation's all about the signs and the miracles. Healing this and healing that and not knowing Jesus. Don't forget, don't forget that in Egypt, Pharaoh's magicians performed the same miraculous work that Moses did. Moses threw down his staff and it became a snake and they did too. Just because somebody does a healing or somebody does a this or somebody does a that don't mean they're from God. The message has to be from God. The message has to be from God. And what is the message? Jesus. Jesus is the message. It's the only message. He said, I'm the good shepherd and I know my sheep. Do you know him? You might know signs and miracles. You might know how to do this and you might know how to do that. But at the end of the day, when your breath is leaving your body, only one thing's going to matter, and that is, do you know Jesus? You might know your church's bylaws. You might know this. You might know how to do that. But if you don't know Jesus, it don't mean anything. You might even know your minister's phone number. You might know this person's phone number. You might know how to do this. You might know how to do that. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Verse number 27, in closing, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They follow me. You know what? There are many voices out in the world trying to get your attention. There are many spirits out there in the world trying to pull you in. But as Elijah found out, right? There's a still, small voice that God speaks to the heart in. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 11, he, he embodied it when he said, come unto me, come unto me, all you weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The call of God to his sheep is to come to him and he will give you rest. The voice of the world keeps you on an acrobatic tour, running that hamster wheel, running this, running that. The world keeps you busy, busy, busy. Gotta do this, gotta do that. Gotta serve here, gotta serve there. Gotta go do this, gotta go do that. But Jesus says, come rest. Come rest. Come to me, he said, and you will find rest. Do you know that one thing, one thing God is looking for today, will you follow his voice? Will you follow the voice of God today and come to Jesus?
because he's calling you. He's call, some of you, he's calling home. Some of you, he's calling to remind you. It's time to rest. One area the enemy doesn't want you to go to is the pasture that Jesus has for you. That pasture is there for you. Jesus is the only way to it. He's the door to it. And he's asking you to come. Amen.